We're going to be finishing up this last dispensation of the kingdom. Now you'll see that the kingdom is under the third age of ages in Clarence Larkin's Ages of Dispensations. And so you have the antediluvian age, which is just a fancy way of saying before the flood. And then you have the present age, which starts with the post-diluvian. And then that just simply means post after the diluvian, after the flood. And then you'll see number four, the patriarch. So you can see how they've, it's broken down into those eight dispensations, seven prior to the destruction of the earth by fire. And so this is just a good picture of the breakdown of your Bible. The Bible says that we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we're not chopping up the scripture and saying that, well, this is relevant today in the Old Testament. It's not anymore. But what we do want to understand is when we read the Bible, all of it is written for us, but not everything was written directly to us, you, I, I love I love growing up singing that old that that hymn. Every promise in the book is mine, but that's not true. There's some promises that were made for Israel that are specifically for Israel. There were some promises that were made for the church that are for the church. There are some promises that are made for the post-apocalyptic age. There are promises. You see what I'm saying? Not every promise. It's a fun song to sing, and I understand the concept behind it, but we need to understand when we're reading certain passages of Scripture where they fall in the timeline of history so that we can understand, because ultimately we want to be Bible students and we want to avoid error. I want to know the truth. Amen? Because if you look at the Bible and you say and you look to for my favorite ones uh, in Chronicles, uh, uh, where people say if where people quote the verse, Christians always say, "If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven." And so you'll hear those at revival meetings and camp meetings a lot. That verse quoted because God will heal America. Well, our our land's not hurting. We're still prospering. We're one of the richest economies in the world. Right? That promise was specifically to Israel. If they fled from God, if they worshipped idols, then what would happen? He would cut off the rain. I believe there's a story in the Bible where there was a prophet. Right? It didn't rain for the space of what? Wit? Three years. And then the prophet prayed and it rained. Why? Because the people turned back to God and He healed that land that was barren. So that, that specific promises for a specific people for a specific time. Very quickly, Corinthians tells us there are three people groups in 1 Corinthians. Jew, Gentile, Church of God. Jew, Gentile, Church of God. And everything in this book is written to one of those three people groups. Jew, Gentile, or the church. And so you need to know whose mail you're reading. Amen? And so that's why it's important. That's why these type of studies are important. So take that home, look over it. Hopefully that'll spur some questions for our next Sunday school hour uh, uh, coming up in, uh, well, we just had one in April, so it'll be June when we'll have another Sunday school, uh, a joint Sunday school session where we'll do a question answer time to begin with. And so maybe this will be one of these things that we go, well, I see that Clarence Larkin is here, but when I read the Bible, 
it's this. Here's the wonderful thing about it. Anytime I give you any information to, to go home and study or I hand out something like this, it's because it's a good study tool. But here's the wonderful thing that we need to understand. Clarence Larkin is not God. Amen? He's a man. The best of men are men at best. Could Clarence Larkin make mistakes? Absolutely. So can I. So can you. And so that's why the church is important because we keep each other accountable, ye which are spiritual. Uh, uh, when someone falls into sin is to restore such a one. And we're also supposed to restore those that fall into doctrinal error. So we're talking about the dispensations. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verse 10. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. We're just going to read verse 10 and we're going to pray and dive right in. We have a lot to cover. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, which, uh, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this evening. We thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word. We thank You that You have blessed us so richly. Lord, we could have nothing else from here until eternity, and You've blessed us so greatly that we can do nothing but say thank You. Lord, I pray that You'd help us never to forget that. I pray that You would help us as we study tonight, open our hearts and minds to receive what's being preached, what's being taught. I pray that You'd help us to apply it to our lives. I pray that You would help us to be students of the Word, as, as Your Son said in Matthew, to hunger and thirst after righteousness so that we may be filled with Your wisdom and with Your knowledge and not with the knowledge and philosophies of man. Lord, I pray that you would help me not to preach my opinion. I pray that you would help me just to be faithful to preach and teach what has been studied and to preach and teach your word. And I pray that you would remove all distractions. Help us to grow closer to you and more knowledgeable in your word. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the word of God. If you'll remember from last week, if you still have your midweek messenger, and if you don't, that's okay. But remember from last week, we talked about the three main dispensations. Now, we believe that there are seven dispensations from creation until God destroys the earth with a flood of fire, which you see uh, depicted here. You've got uh, the dispensation number one through seven, and then he starts over eight, and that's the perfect age. And so uh, seven would be the end of the dispensation of this Earth. And so we've broken down, though, the three main dispensations that are very clear in Scripture. Now, that's not to say that the other four are not clear, but these are the ones that stand out the most because of how God operated in and will operate in this dispensation. So we have the law, the dispensation of the law, and man was to obey the Word of God and to keep the law. And we looked at Romans and we talked about all of those different things that were introduced because of the law. And then the church, and we looked at the church age, which we live in, which is also called the age of grace. The age of grace. And so that's the second main dispensation. And then the third is the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the kingdom. You're in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, as we read it again, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather to himself, or rather, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, 
even in him. We're going to look at three specific references throughout Scripture that are vital to understanding the coming kingdom dispensation as we study together. Two of the phrases we're going to look at are found here in Ephesians chapter 1. The first one we're going to look at, uh, we studied two years ago, uh, back in 2018, and we studied out this day of the Lord. That's letter A, or point one rather on your handout, the day of the Lord. And so uh, a quick study and a quick search of this day of the Lord as you see it in Scripture. Uh, first, let's look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, and as we look together, let's start in verse 29. Now, Matthew 24 is interesting because it's a point of great debate as to whether or not this is referencing the time leading up to the tribulation or whether it's the time of the tribulation. Uh, there was a famous sign. I can't remember all of these. Uh, uh, I, I don't remember names very well. I'm very bad with names. and so I don't, But I remember uh, the lyrics to one song uh, that was written many years ago. I'd wish we'd all been ready. I mean, if you remember that, I don't think it was a Christian. That wrote, it might have been, but you know what I'm talking about. I wish we've all been ready. The, uh, there were two in the field. One is, one, one is taken, the other's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. And so they get that from this passage in Matthew 24 and 25 where there's two working in the field. One is taken and uh, one is left behind. Uh, this reference in Matthew 24, uh, we've looked at before, and, but for the sake of time, it is with the understanding that Matthew 24 is referencing the tribulation, not the days leading up to the tribulation. It's talking about the tribulation. Uh, uh, many shall come, verse 5, in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, how many of you have heard that? You'll see prophecy conferences and wars and rumors of wars. And because there's wars and rumors of wars now, we're closer now to the rapture than we ever have been. Let me just break some news to you. There's been wars and rumors of wars since Christ rose from the grave. It's just been every century there's wars and rumors of wars. That's nothing new. There's a specific war, though, that it's talking about. And we'll see, we would see that as we, as we study this chapter. All these, verse number 8, are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. Now... There's something we need to understand about the second coming of Christ versus the rapture of the church. In the rapture of the church, Jesus does not come to the earth. We meet Him in the clouds. Let's go quickly. Keep your place here in Matthew 24. I want us to see something very quickly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. It's talking about those that have died and gone. 
Concerning those which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now verse 18 is very important. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So what is the rapture considered for Bible believers? A comfort. It's a comfort. We will rise again. Amen? The dead in Christ will rise. Those which are alive and remain will meet them in the air. Back to Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 8. What's getting ready to be described? The beginning of what? Sorrows. Not comfort. The beginning of sorrows. That's very important. Now, jump ahead to verse 29. Now, verses 8 all the way through 28, there are descriptors there. There are those who, uh, uh, you see the word tribulation constantly being referred to in verses 8 through 28. The Scripture is very clear if we just read the Scripture and believe what it says instead of trying to impose what we want it to say into it. We just read the Scripture believe what it says. That's what we do here. I don't know why that's hard for the rest of the world. Amen? Uh, but it is, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but it's very clear here uh, when you Therefore, verse 15 in Matthew 24, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Who's the abomination of desolation? The Antichrist. Stand in the holy place. What's he talking about? The temple. Why? Because three and a half years in, after the temple was built, there's peace and there's the dedication. The Antichrist will walk into the temple and he will be uh, uh, possessed by Satan. That's what the Scripture teaches us. And he will say, I am God, worship me. That's called the abomination of desolation. Then let them which be in Judah flee into the mountains. Now jump ahead to verse 29. Immediately after the what? Tribulation. So what did we just talk about in these eight to, to these 10 to 11 verses prior to verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days? What's going to happen? The sun will be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth What's that word? Mourn. Now, does that sound comforting? No. Why? Because he's describing tribulation. He's describing abomination. He's describing a time of trouble. You say, well, but for the church, it's a comfort. Not if we have to go through it. Amen? Not if we have to go, oh, well, he that will endure to the end shall be saved. That's not what the context of that passage is talking about. We have to read the Word of God and allow it to speak for itself. Allow the Word of God to speak, not the Word of man to speak. And so Matthew 24 teaches us a little something. I encourage you to go home, read through 24 and 25, and you'll see that it is not referencing the rapture, it's referencing the tribulation. Another, another way to know that is the rapture was a mystery until the writings of Paul. 
Why? Because the church was a mystery until the writings of Paul. Remember, he shows us a mystery. We talked about that as we looked at the dispensation of grace. And so I'm going to give you a few verses. You might want to write some of these passages down. We're talking about the day of the Lord. Now we've seen some passages where that's referenced, but Isaiah 2.12 starts us, The day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. That's what's going to happen at the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Man will be humbled. How ye, Isaiah 13.6, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty as a destruction from the Almighty. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Amos. Old Testament, towards the end. Amos chapter 5. The day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ, the day of God... All of these references, these days, are talking about the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. It's very interesting. It's not the rapture. Why? Because we're going to meet Him in the clouds. What happens at the second coming? Armageddon. He's going to rule and reign then for a thousand years with a rod of iron. He's going to step forth and touch the earth and Mount Zion's going to split with a great earthquake. That's what the Bible teaches. All of these, day of the Lord. Philippians, or, uh, you're in Amos chapter 5. I want us to see something in verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is what? Darkness and not light. Now, here's something that we need to understand. Some Bible students will teach that Jesus Christ, when He was born, that that was the beginning of the day of the Lord. That's what people will say. Well, that was the day of the Lord. In AD 70, that's when the tribulation was. Because they don't look at the Scripture as being literal, they look at it as being uh, allegorical. And so it's very important that we understand this, because if we look at the references in the Old Testament, Amos 5 is a wonderful one, it's just one of many, where it describes the day of the Lord, and compare that to when Jesus Christ was born. So, verse 18, the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Jump down to verse 20, Amos chapter 5, verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it. Keep your place here. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 7. Rather, just go ahead and look at verse 9. No, go to verse 6. All right, let's look at verse 6. John 1, 6. They're all so good. All right, John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the what? Light. That's a capital L in your King James Bible because it's talking about a person that all men through him, him who? The light might believe. He, talking about John, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 9, that was the true light, 
which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. What happened at the entrance of Jesus Christ into the world? Light was given to the world. But what's going to happen on the day of the Lord? Darkness and not light. Very dark, no brightness in it. You say, well, isn't Jesus Christ... If you believe the day of the Lord is the second coming, isn't that Jesus coming into the world? Yes, but you're talking about two different advents, two different comings of Christ for two different purposes. He came the first time as a babe wrapped in a manger so that He may live His life perfectly and offer up Himself as a perfect sacrifice and so that He may die and be nailed to a cross and then buried and then giving us the greatest proof of Scripture, the resurrection. That was the purpose of the first advent. The second advent is war and destruction. He's coming to deal with who? The world. He's going to deal with the world because what happens at the end of Armageddon? He starts to separate the sheep nations from the goat nations. Tribulation is meant for Israel. That's why in Isaiah it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation of those days. The time of Jacob's trouble. I'm not Jacob. Amen? You're not either. Who's Jacob? Jacob is that reference to Israel whenever they're not serving God. That's what, they, that's what he calls him. He references him by his earthly name. Not his heavenly identification as Israel. It's very interesting. Amen? 1 John chapter 1. We looked at John 1, 9, that entrance of the light. Now look at 1 John 1. That was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 1 and verse 9. Now 1 John 1 and verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is what? Light. And in Him is no what? Darkness at all. The entrance of Jesus Christ into this world to be the Savior for all mankind brought light. The Bible says the entrance of thy word giveth light. That was the purpose of Jesus coming the first time. So it can't be a fulfillment of Amos chapter 5. Because if the day of the Lord is darkness, then that is counter or opposite of what the New Testament teaches Jesus Christ came to do. Bring light. So it's very interesting. We need to understand that the day of the Lord is a separate day. And it is the day of destruction. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're still on day of the Lord. Amen. If you've run out of spaces, I apologize. I tried to squeeze as many on there without... See, I, can, I have trifocal, so I can see down to a small squint, very small, and I know not everybody can. So I, I, try, to, I try to be mindful of that. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 20. Acts chapter 2 and verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great... And notable day of the Lord come. Now this is after Jesus Christ. This is after His death, burial, and resurrection. This is after His birth. And what is Peter preaching? That something's going to happen before the day of the Lord. Hasn't happened yet. So obviously the day of the Lord is still future. 
not past. So it's very important we understand that. So the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ, the day of God. This is referencing the second coming. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. One last time we'll look at one more verse and then we'll move on to uh, back to Ephesians. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. Now, I want us to remember 1 Thessalonians 4. What happens at 1 Thessalonians 4? There's the trump of God, there's the voice, right? And there's the catching away. That's the biblical term for the rapture. The word rapture is not in your Bible. The word rapture is just a word that is used to define what's going to happen. We're being raptured out. The biblical term is the catching away. The saints will be caught away. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 describes the day of the Lord. Let's see if it sounds like the rapture or the catching away. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Oh, well, that sounds about right because Matthew says it will come as a thief in the night. But remember, Matthew 24 is not talking about the rapture. So what will come as a thief in the night? The day of the Lord. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Oh, well, there's a great noise. That's the trumpet. That's the voice, right? Keep reading. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be what? Burned up. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. The day of the Lord's different than the catching away. It has to be. Things that are different are not the same. Amen. We're talking about the catching away. The saints will meet Him in the air. This is talking about a great noise, fervent heat, and the earth will be burned up. This sounds a little more like Revelation chapter 20. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. I believe we looked at it briefly last week. Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 9. This is immediately after... Immediately after the thousand-year reign. He said, well, wait a second. I thought the day of the Lord was the, the second advent, the day that Jesus Christ comes down before the thousand-year reign. I'll get to that. All right, I'll get to that. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 9. This is after Satan's been loose for a season. He goes out to deceive the nations. Verse 9, they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. It's talking about Jerusalem. Where's the temple going to be? In Jerusalem. Where will Jesus Christ rule and reign with a rod of iron? Jerusalem, the temple of God. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. In the Larkin picture, see if I can get it to load back up here. That is what's happening right there. Well, I don't have a power pointer or a whatever you call it. That is what's happening right there between 7 and 8. You see that? Oh, wait, I can do this. Here we go. You see this? Can you all see that? That's where the fire comes down from the throne of God to consume the earth. Why? Because the, Satan has deceived the armies of the earth. And what happens when Satan deceives the armies of the earth? They're going to mount up a war against Jesus Christ at the end of the thousand years. 
after a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning with a rod of iron, what's going to happen in that thousand years? Perfect government. Perfection. Why? Because the king of all, the righteous judge will be ruling from the throne of David. And even after a thousand years of perfect rule, the earth and those that are, with, are therein will not be pleased. Why? Because man wants to worship self, not God. That's the problem. And so Satan's able to go into the world and to deceive all the nations and to take the armies of the earth and those that would go with him will mount up a resistance against the throne of God, against the army of the saints. That's those, that's us, right? And he will come to attack and in that moment, God will destroy everything with a flood of fire. Heaven and earth shall pass away. That is called the day of the Lord. You say, well, now wait a second. I thought the day of the Lord was before when He comes with the saints at Armageddon. And here, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is considered the same day. Well, back to 2 Peter, if I'm not mistaken... Second Peter chapter 3, look at verse 8. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is what? A thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The day of the Lord is the entirety of of His second advent until the end of the thousand years. One day. The day of the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I got a little bit of goosebumps on the back of my neck. Amen? <laughs> when I read Because when we read Because how many times have we heard, you know, wait on the Lord. A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. When Poppy, Ralph Sr. died, he was my pastor's dad who pastored the church, started the church. Well, I don't know that he started it. I think he did start it. State Street Baptist Church, State Street, uh, North Carolina, and Asheville became Trinity Baptist Church, and that's the church I grew up at. And he was Poppy. We all called him Poppy. Uh, pastor was Uncle Ralph, and uh, that was the church I grew up at. And I remember at his funeral, my high school, senior high Sunday school teacher did a math uh, uh, equation about how long Poppy had been in in heaven based on if one day was a thousand years and it was like point zero 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 three milliseconds or something like that and I remember you know being uh, 14 or 15 and thinking uh, 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 oh man that's awesome but that's not how it works in heaven do you know what there is not existing in heaven time there's no time in heaven it exists outside of time so what does that mean for those that have died and gone before? When we die, it'll be as if we all got there at the same time. Because there's no time in heaven. You say, well, I can't comprehend that. That's because you're not God. We're not God. We're not made to comprehend that. All we can do is faith. Trust that He is. That's interesting, isn't it? Oh, well, they've been gone. My dad's been gone for 17 years. 
He died 17 years ago. To think if I died right now, if the rapture were to happen, it would be as if we got there at the same time. Because there's no time in heaven. So when we look at 2 Peter, and we look at that reference, that day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, where does time exist? Within creation. And so that's not talking about, well, in heaven, you know, the earth's you know, 6,000 years old, so it's only six days old, and there's only seven days in creation and trying to do the numerology thing and figure out when the Lord's coming back. That's why it doesn't work. Why? Because God doesn't go on our timeline. He, we go on His. It's very important to understand. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. The second, man, it's already 10 till, fullness of times. Fullness of times. Tell you what we'll do. Because I don't want to rush through any of this. The third is the gathering. Fullness of times and the gathering. We see these two phrases in Ephesians 1.10. Talking about the kingdom. Now we've already talked about the day of the Lord, which is that kingdom reign. Honestly, the day of the Lord and the kingdom go hand in hand. Next Wednesday we'll talk about the fullness of times and the gathering. Now I'm not going to print a new one of these next week. I want you to just bring these back, alright? Since we're still on dispensationalism. Now I will give you a new verse reference next week, alright? So I'm, gonna, I'm hoping somebody will come in and know this verse. Even if you just know the latter part of it, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. We need to recognize that, alright? So I want us to know this memory verse. Next week we're going to look at the fullness of times because the Bible talks about the birth of Christ and when the fullness of time was come, Jesus was born of a virgin. And then in Ephesians, the dispensation of the fullness of times. You see the words are different. A different context, different passage, different meaning, different time. So we need to understand that. So we're going to look at that next week. All right, the fullness of times. And based on how long it takes me to get through one point, we might even have to wait on the gathering till the next. But we'll, we'll see what happens, all right? Uh, uh, but let's be understanding. What does all of this have to do with anything? Well, Remember, we have a responsibility, understanding the dispensation that we're in, because a dispensation has been committed to us. What dispensation is committed to us? The dispensation of grace, also known as the dispensation of the gospel. That dispensation has been committed to us. It's our responsibility to know what dispensation we're in, so we'll know the work that God has given us to do.